Hi everyone, before we start the show, I'm really excited to let you know about our next live Bigger Questions recording of 2019. You can be part of the live audience when we ask the big question, why do we explore space reflecting on 50 years since the moon landing? So why is space the stuff dreams are made of? Well, this is what we're thinking about as we record a very special Bigger Questions episode to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And to do this, we have three guests who are out of this world. Dr. James Murray, President of Mount Burnett Observatory, Dr. Jonathan Clark, President of Mars Australia Society, and Diane McGrath, who actually wants to move to Mars. We're boldly going where no bigger questions conversation has gone before, and you can join us. We're recording at 7pm Monday 3rd of June at Campari House in the city of Melbourne. Get your tickets at biggerquestions.org and click on Next Recording where you can sign up. Now be quick because unlike space itself, tickets for this event are not infinite. So come along, ask your big questions, bring other big questioners and experience Bigger Questions live. We hope to see you there. Now to this week's show. This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's big question, is the story of Jesus a conspiracy theory? Now, the people who met Jesus Christ in person faced the same big life questions we face today. But when they met Jesus, things immediately started to change for them. Today, we explore how the central events and meetings in Jesus' life can change our own lives forever. And today we're considering conspiracy theories and scepticism. And to help us, we have Rob Buckingham join us. Rob is the Senior Minister of Bayside Church, a contemporary multi-site church in the southern Bayside region of Melbourne. Rob is also part of Melbourne's media community, having worked with Easy Music 3MP and Light FM. Rob and his wife Christy also co-host an interactive TV chat show called The Exchange. And he joins me now. Please welcome Rob Buckingham. Rob, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thank you. Yeah. Now, you have a long history in uh, media and radio, and this show is broadcast on the radio. So yes. how are we going so far? Oh, I think you're doing very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's nice. Now, you began your first radio show in high school. Uh, can you tell us what happened with that? Yeah, it, it wasn't actually a radio program, but I was always a bit of a radio nut. Yep. I, I was one of those fortunate teenagers who knew what they wanted to do uh, from the age of about 13. Mm-hmm. And so I always wanted to be a radio announcer, so I used to sit at home and with my little cassette player, that kind of dates me right there, mm-hmm. record things off the radio and put my own radio program together. And then I talked to the school principal one day and I said, uh, how about I play music over the PA at lunchtime? And so uh, he said, yeah, why don't you do that? So I bought my record player. <laughs> into school and played all the 70s hits. So you can imagine what I played. ABBA and a whole lot more. Wow. Play that, you know, how was it received? How did, the, how did your classmates respond? They loved it. They yeah. thought it was really, really good. So I'd yeah. play a song and then talk over the microphone and, and that was my humble beginnings. Yeah. You didn't have ratings competitions or anything? Oh, not just at just all, no, getting no. no, There was only one PA and I had it. So. <laughs> 100%. Everyone had to listen. All right. Now, as part of Bigger Questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions. We do try to have a bit of fun on the show. Today, we're exploring scepticism, and so I thought I'd test you on conspiracy theories, scepticism towards generally accepted explanations of events in preference to some alternative covert theory. So are you a fan of conspiracy theories at all? Not at all. Okay, right. Well, we'll see how you go today. Okay. Okay, there's two questions, both multiple choice. First question. According to the Telegraph newspaper in the UK, which is history's greatest conspiracy theory? Was it A, that NASA faked the moon landings? 
Was it B, that a flying saucer crashed at Roswell in 1947? Or was it C, a series of conspiracies around the September 11 terrorist attacks? Or was it D, that Beatle Paul McCartney died in a car accident in 1966 and was replaced by a look-alike and sound-alike? Well, I actually used to love D because I had all the Beatles albums yeah. and my friends and I would sit up playing them all backwards and hearing all the clues and everything mm. which, which are hidden in the well, Double White album. That's one of the key clues to understanding his, his apparent death. Was it, yeah. it says that Paul is dead, Paul is dead. Yeah. You play them backwards because yeah. that's how you write music. Oh, it's all there. Yeah, I'm right. a dead man, yeah. I'm a dead man. But so I'll, you're going to go with D, I, eh? No, no, I'm not. No. <laughs> good, um, good. I, 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 I would actually, recommend not. When I was at school, I used to love multiple choice because I always loved D because it said all of the above. Yeah. But in this case, I'll go for A. You go for A? Well, it's actually C. Oh. That according to the Telegraph, that the correct answer is C, that there's all sorts of conspiracy theories surrounding September 11, uh, including that the bombs, not the planes, made the Twin Towers collapse. Insider traders knew about the attacks before they happened and the air defence was told to stand down. So there's okay. lots of conspiracy theories out there, and that apparently was up there. Um, yeah, that was still it wasn't a bad answer. It was in the top five. But, so yeah, so you did, you did okay. But anyway, even though it's not the most popular, but it relates to that, is the conspiracy theory around the NASA faking the moon landings. Mm. The second question is around that. So the second question is so about NASA faking the moon landings. What did astronaut Buzz Aldrin say on the 46th anniversary of the so-called moon landings in response to the accusations that they were faked? Did he say a the Russians would have exposed it by now if we didn't land. B, if you don't think Apollo landed on the moon, you should get a new brain. Or was it C, myth busted? Or was it D, yes, they were faked and I've lived a lie for the rest of my life? I'll go for D. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he was being sarcastic. He wasn't being sarcastic, actually, so that was actually made up. So right. just so that you don't fail, maybe you want to choose one of the earlier ones. Okay, um, um, yeah. then I'll uh, go for A. And you're correct, it is A, yes. B was spoken by physicist Professor Brian Cox, C by Mythbusters team, and I said D was just made up. So, And I'm pretty sure that Buzz Aldrin would know. What he well, did. What he did, exactly yeah. right. So, Rob, congratulations. In our conspiracy theories um, quiz, you passed. One out of two. Congratulations. Big, big hand for Rob. Thank you very much. I'm sure you can sleep well tonight. Totally. Knowing that you've passed our quiz. Now, so what do you make of conspiracy theories? Well, look, I'm sure that there are a lot of things happening in the world that we are not fully aware of. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of dark stuff taking place behind the scenes. But mm -hmm. um, personally, I'm just not a, I'm not a fan of conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. I love to focus on, on the good news rather than the bad news. Right. And uh, I have a very dear friend of mine who, who just talks about conspiracy theories all the time. I met with him a couple of weeks ago and he uh, was telling me all the latest ones. And quite honestly, after listening to him for an hour, I was bored out of my brain. <laughs> and, and I said to him something very similar to what I've just said to you. I'm sure there's a whole lot of stuff happening, but let's talk about something else now. <laughs> Right. But landing on the moon is a pretty remarkable event. Mm. Um, even with you know, living eyewitnesses and video evidence, some people just won't believe. So now, in your youth, you were a self-professed atheist. Yes. Was that how you felt about Jesus? Yeah, very much so. I, I thought that, uh, well, I didn't believe in God at all, mm -hmm. and uh, I didn't believe in Jesus. He may have been a historical figure. I wasn't really sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, very highly sceptical. But you were spiritual, though. Yes, and I've called myself a spiritual atheist uh, when, as I look back through those uh, years. Um, so an atheist, so didn't believe in God, but was very open to spiritual things. Mm -hmm. So what sort of spiritual things were you 
exploring or involved in? I mean, lot, being lot spiritual of, atheist, some would say that's a, almost a contradiction. Yeah, uh, not believing in God, but being very aware of the spirit world, and so mm. very into um, astrology, uh, astral projection, uh, all of that, all of that kind of thing. Um, very aware that there is a spiritual dimension to life, mm-hmm. but when it came to the Christian God. No, thank you. Nothing at all, no, no. So you said that you didn't believe in God. Why was that in particular? Was there any reason? I, I think a lot of my experience uh, with, with Christians and with churchgoers, um, one of my best mates was uh, a church-going family, and uh, I just didn't, I, I didn't see anything real uh, in, mm-hmm. in them, you know. And in fact, one day I was around there for, for dinner, and the dad was saying, oh, now you lot have got to go to church. I went this morning. Ha, 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 I've already done my bit. Now you've <laughs> got to go. Mm-hmm. And, and as a young guy, I was probably about 15 at the time, thinking, wow, that's all it means to you why do you bother mm. and I ended up going to church with the rest of the family that night and uh, it went for an hour and it felt like it went forever mm. and so you know I got an insight into eternity I guess that was a good thing <laughs> and so you began to get an insight of why people wouldn't want to go yeah I, I didn't see that I needed that as part of my life I had enough problems <laughs> yeah that's right now you're a pastor of the church now as a 15 year old did you ever think that you would be a pastor of a church never and in fact, if someone had suggested that, they would have heard uh, a response with some very choice words. Right, very colourful language, yes, perhaps. Yes, right, extremely. Yeah, right, okay, so well, what happened? What changed? Uh, when I was, uh, well, I finished, I finished um, high school in Perth. And uh, as I said before, I always wanted to be a radio announcer. So I did radio school at Mount Lawley Technical College in, mm-hmm. in Perth, in WA. And then at the end of that, I got a job in radio. My first radio job was in Geraldton in Western mm-hmm. Australia. And uh, in my seventh month there, a mate of mine had come over from Melbourne. And uh, he was hitchhiking around Australia. So he chatted with me and he said, well, why don't you come hitchhiking with me? And I decided I would do that. So I quit my job in radio, bought a backpack and paid and I went hitchhiking up the west coast and all around so for several months um, he traveled on his own after a while I stayed in Darwin and worked and got some money together and then I started to travel on my own and uh, in in the beginning of um, uh, November 1977 I was picked up by a truckie in northern New South Wales and uh, as soon as I got into his truck he told me that he was a born-again Christian and you can imagine how that went down with me but I needed a <laughs> lift to Sydney so uh, off we went in his brand new Kenworth truck and about two hours later we were involved in a head-on collision with another truck the two guys in the other truck both died and when I got out of hospital, um, I went and lived with this truckie and his wife and family in Sydney and uh, while I was recovering from, from my injuries. And so it was during that time I just saw genuine Christianity in action. Mm. Mm. And after about six weeks living with them, I asked them one Sunday night if I could go to church with them. And, and what do you uh, think they felt? I'm sure they were leaping up and down on the inside, uh, but they were very calm. They said, sure, if you'd like to come, you're most welcome. And so I went along and I just saw in the very small congregation, probably 20, 25 people, but I saw the same reality that I saw in this family. And it was something that was highly attractive. Mm. It wasn't so much what they said as the way they lived mm. and very much thinking I would like what they've got. Mm. So that was the beginning of my journey. I decided to believe in God. I accepted Jesus as my saviour at that point, and then I walked away for two years, and when I was 21, my faith really started to get grounded. So what convinced you or what pushed you to ground that faith in that sort of recommitment phase? Walking away and trying everything I had wanted to try. Uh, And when I talk about that, I'm talking about different religions, drugs, you name it. I went through the whole gamut of exploration for about two years, uh, which ended with a suicide attempt uh, because I was so depressed. Mm. And then my best mate became a Christian and started to talk to me about Jesus. And uh, I said, yeah, actually, I, I know about that. 
And it was just a kind of a decision on the inside at that point mm. to say, yeah, I, I really want to live as a Christian. Mm. So even though you were an atheist, when you saw these people that you met and you saw genuine Christianity, they had something that you wanted, you felt yeah. that there was something missing? For me, I think it was connecting the dots, believing in a spiritual aspect to life, never seeing that in the Christian church. In fact, if I made a list of the things that I was looking for um, it, to find fulfillment or looking at to find fulfillment, I wouldn't have even put Christianity or Jesus on that list. Mm. But when I met these people, that changed my mind. So what was it then about Jesus that convinced you to change your mind? Again, I think it was what I saw in, in these people. Mm. And I thought, wow, you know, they talked about God as a real being. Mm. And I'd never heard that before. And the way that they, they talked about God was in a way that he wasn't up there somewhere, but he was very much a part of their lives and, and wanted to interact in a very real way mm. with people. And I just, I just found that highly attractive. I thought, wow, if, they, if this is real, I want to experience this. Mm. As part of Bigger Questions, we also reflect on the Bible. And today we're going to meet a skeptic who encounters Jesus. The story comes from the New Testament book of John, one of the four biographies of Jesus' life that we have. And in this particular episode, we hear about a man, Philip, who encounters Jesus and is convinced that he is the special one, the one promised in the Jewish scriptures. It's a bit like the special uh, prophesied in the Lego movie, uh, to be the greatest, most interesting and most important person of all time. Uh, so Philip then goes to his friend Nathaniel and says in John 1 verse 45, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's response is fascinating when he asks, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So, Rob, why was Nathaniel so sceptical? I, I just love Nathaniel's response. And, and I think to fully understand his response, we have to understand something of Nazareth in mm. Galilee. Galilee was a rural place and Nazareth was a little town in this rural place. And Jesus was an extremely common name of the day. If I can bring that into the current day, it's like someone coming up to you and saying, we have found the special one, we found the Messiah, his name is Bob and he's from Mount Isa. <laughs> And, and so if someone said that to you, you'd go, yeah, right. Can anything good come out of there? And, uh, and, and th so that was his sceptical response, and I fully understand that. You have a church in Frankston. I don't know if people have the same response about Frankston. You know, can anything good come out of Frankston? Yeah. Is it the same sort of idea that it's sort of not really the most desirable part of I'd this? love to see that change over time. I think Frankston, <laughs> yeah. I think Frankston gets a bad rap. Right, so really do you want people good. to think, oh, can anything good come out of Turak? That's what you probably prefer <laughs> people to say, is that right? Well, yeah. I, I deliberately <laughs> use Mount Isa because it's not in Victoria. And what, Geraldton's a bit close to home, is it? Or oh, it's totally. Right. It's a beautiful place. Right, okay, yeah, yeah. So did you resonate then? Do you resonate with Nathaniel's scepticism? Yeah, very much so. I, I think I was highly sceptical back in those days. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I find a healthy scepticism in my life today, especially yep. as you were talking before about conspiracy theories. Uh, we've, we've saw uh, just a little while ago uh, someone or a number of people writing and putting out documentaries and movies on the blood moon that happened a couple of weeks ago and all all of these things were supposed to happen apocalyptically with mm. the blood moon and of course nothing happened mm. um, and, and so yeah I'm highly skeptical of that stuff mm. I think it's very healthy it's interesting that even after the moon landings uh, NASA issued a statement clarifying that it really did land on the moon in 1977 which was less than 10 years after the moon landing in 1969 and so there's a sense in which people have a proclivity or a, a tendency towards skepticism but there is a sense as you've just mentioned that skepticism is reasonable 
It can be. I think if, if skepticism is unreasonable when it's presented with the facts and says, I won't believe. I think that's where it jumps from skepticism or, or a healthy doubt into deliberate unbelief, which mm. I, I think is dangerous ground. Um, but it was like Thomas, you know, every, everybody else uh, of Jesus' disciples had experienced Jesus. They'd all met him. They'd all touched him. They'd all been with him. Thomas was absent. And when he turned up, he said, basically, I would like to have the same evidence as you guys. Mm. And so when Jesus turned up, he gave Thomas the same evidence. Mm. And I think evidence is a wonderful thing. And for him, that was sufficient grounds to believe. Yes. It wasn't as though, well, I'm still doubt. It could be something else. Yeah. Uh, I'm not uh, really sure if it's you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No, he said, my Lord and my God, he, he believed when he, when he got the facts. So when do you think it's time to stop being sceptical? When you've got the facts. And you feel that you have those facts with Jesus? Very much so. Yeah. Well, let's see what happened and what changed Nathaniel's mind. Uh, initially, Philip implored him to put aside his scepticism, and he says, come and see. So Nathaniel decides to give it a go, and he goes to Jesus. Now, do you think that there are people today who aren't even willing to come and see, that they're so sceptical and closed that they won't even consider Jesus at all? Yes, there, there are definitely people who would say, I'm just not interested, and that might be for all sorts of reasons. I think a lot of people are on a spiritual journey, and mm -hmm. I think it's really important that we learn how to engage with people wherever they're at on that journey mm. and, uh, and lead them gently. And you mentioned when you were about to jump into this truck for a long drive with this truck driver, you knew he was a Christian. Were you willing to consider Jesus at that point? Not at all, no. In fact, the only reason I got into that truck is that I wanted to get from where I was to Sydney. And he had a nice brand new Kenworth truck. <laughs> and I thought, well, at least it's going to be a comfortable trip. But for two hours, he was telling me about Jesus. And I was just sitting there smoking my cigarettes and, and trying to look interested. But I wasn't. But there was a point at which you then considered come and see? Yes. I think when you're confronted by your own mortality as well, when you're 19, of course, you're immortal. Mm -hmm. And being confronted by how fragile life is, uh, I still see it as a, as a miracle that I, that I survived that truck accident. The police, the doctors, the nurses, everyone said, we can't work out how you've actually survived and how you've survived with such minor injuries. And so even there, listening to their words, two guys died and, and there were so many different factors in that smash where I could have died or been seriously injured and yet I wasn't. Watching one guy dead on the road and the other guy die while I watched, all of those things I think started to mesh with my spiritual search um, and then seeing the reality of God uh, in this truckie and his wife and family, those all worked together to lead me to a point of really wanting to find Jesus for myself. So then Nathaniel encounters Jesus in a way which changes his life forever. Jesus seems to have something special. So what do you think it was about Jesus that seems to convince the sceptical Nathaniel? I, I think it's uh, what Jesus actually says to him in, in mm -hmm. those verses. He says, while I saw you under the fig tree, mm. and it's fairly evident as you read that story that Nathaniel is very aware that Jesus could not have seen him and where he was sitting. Mm. And so he gives him this insight. Oh, you were sitting under a fig tree. How did you know that? Mm. And there's no candid camera. This is right, yeah. So how did you know that? And, and it was just that one very simple statement that leads him to go, oh my goodness, you are the chosen one. Mm. And, and so Jesus' response to that then is that if, you, if you're going to believe so easily, you wait and see what I'm going to show you. Yeah, well, we'll get to that in a second. But okay. Nathaniel's scepticism at that point, he has enough. 
he yeah. sort of ends. Yeah. Uh, and he recognizes Jesus for who he was, the son of God, the king of Israel. And then, as we just mentioned, that Jesus is almost dismissive of Nathaniel's initial enthusiastic expression of faith when he says there in verse 50, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. Mm. So Jesus claims here that when you actually encounter him, he'll be far more than we ever imagined him to be. Is is that your experience? Yes, very, very much my experience. Uh, I did not have a clue what I was getting myself in for uh, when I said, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life when I was 19. When I did that again when I was 21, I had no preconceived idea of what that would mean. Uh, the satisfaction that I have felt, I've, I looked for satisfaction in so many different ways in this life and yet it was like drinking water only to find that I was thirsty again a short time after but finding ultimate satisfaction in a relationship with Jesus and not just what's happened on the inside of me but what's happened through me since then as well I never dreamed your earlier question did I ever see myself being a pastor of a church no did I ever think I would pioneer a church no or the different things that have happened as a result um, of, of my Christian experience have been absolutely mind-blowing. Now, a couple of questions have come in. One is, what was it about Jesus that was so satisfying? For a couple of things that kind of spring to mind. I guess for me it was the end of my search. So I'd, I felt like I'd been on a journey trying to find satisfaction in life. And so I, I was constantly on that journey. And my friends actually were quite skeptical of me. When, when I said I've become a Christian, they basically, they all rolled their eyes and they said, oh, this is Rob's latest fad. <laughs> it's his latest thing. Wonder how long this is going to last. Well, how long has it lasted for? Well, um, nearly 40 years. <laughs> okay, it's a, it's a long fad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So it has been a very long fad. Um, so there was scepticism there. Um, the other thing I would say would be uh, his presence. Um, I never thought, when, when I was an atheist, I didn't think that there was a God. But now knowing that there is one, and not up there somewhere, but actually feeling tangibly and knowing his presence in my life is completely mind-blowing. It's amazing. Some people say that the destination is unimportant. It's just the journey along the way. What do you say to that? I, I think both. I love to enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. And my, my journey is not over. I have found Jesus, or should I say more correctly, he found so, me, because mm -hmm. I don't think I was really looking for him. Um, but that starts you on a whole brand new journey. And I'm still on that one. I'm still on that whole journey of discovery. I think if, we, if we're talking about a God who is real, uh, who fills the entire universe, who has always existed and always will exist, to say, I know this God is actually quite a proud statement. I would rather say, I'm getting to know him. <laughs> and uh, the more that I travel on this journey of Christianity, the more I get this insight that totally blows my mind. And he's still satisfying? Very. Um, another question has come in. Did you maintain contact with your truck driver f and family since your conversion and post your experimental years? Yes, I kept in touch with them. Uh, I would go back to Sydney uh, on a regular basis to see them. Uh, in fact, I did Bible college in New South Wales. Uh, they'd moved down the coast by then, but I'd drive down and see them regularly. Um, and uh, I went and saw the truckie uh, Malcolm just before he passed away. He, he died of cancer a number of years ago. His wife is still alive and she and I keep in regular contact. Mm, that's terrific. Now, another question's come in as well, which is relating to the family. What did that family do that spoke 
so strongly of real faith. It's the way they lived, the way that they spoke. Um, and, and I want to you to understand here, this family did not have it all together. When I, when I say Aussie truckie, <laughs> Malcolm was everything you think of as an Aussie truckie. All right. Did he, he wear a blue singlet? Yes, <laughs> he did. Absolutely. Uh, and he was slightly overweight and he was pretty rough. Uh, in fact, when he talked to me about Jesus, he would use expletives, and, which, which didn't bother me at all. I didn't know Christians weren't supposed to swear. So he would tell me how blank, blankety, blank, blank great Jesus was. And, oh, boy, that's good. And so there, there, was, there was nothing that they were the perfect people for me. On, on my journey. Yeah. And, um, and Lynn, his wife, she's just one of those people that I liked on sight. As soon as I saw her, when she walked into the, into the hospital ward, uh, Malcolm was lying in a bed one side of the ward, me on the other. Lynn walked in, greeted Malcolm, put her arms around him and burst into tears. And then she composed herself and come over, came over to me and held her hand out and said, G'day, I'm Lynn. And that's the way she speaks. <laughs> and, and, and I just, I liked her on sight. Yeah. And she and I, during my recovery time, she and I would play a lot of Scrabble. And during our games, we would have spiritual conversations. And she would start talking to me about the reality of God and uh, the way that, that Jesus had healed their marriage. And I think, I've never heard anyone talk about God like this mm. before. This God sounds knowable. Mm. And, and so it was... Not that this family were perfect. They didn't have it all together, but they had a reality of God in their lives that was just incredibly attractive. So in some ways, their encounter with Jesus, mm. their encounter with God was very real and tangible. And they were very new Christians. They'd only become Christians about a year before, so they were still very early in their own journey as well. So the questions come through, did you have any intellectual reasons for being an atheist or was it just experiential? I, I would say a lot of it was experiential. I think, you know, as a teenager, um, certainly I loved to think things through. Uh, but to me, there was, there was no reason that there would be a God. It never dawned on me. I, I, I never considered looking around the world at creation and, and everything else and thinking there might be an intelligent mind behind it. Uh, my life was very much lived through my teenage years, looking for personal satisfaction, uh, what felt good to me, uh, hanging out with my friends, uh, trying to do good at school and spending time with my family. So outside of that, that there, I didn't do it. I wasn't a great reader back in those days. And so I, I wasn't reading anything that would give me intellectual input as to whether there was a God or not. So do you think that the story of Jesus, though, could just be another conspiracy theory? No. Why is that? For me personally, I, I'm convinced. Mm -hmm. I, I understand other people being sceptical, um, as I was. But uh, for me personally, right now, I, I am not sceptical when it comes to Jesus. I believe he is a real person. I believe he is God in human form. I believe he came to this planet and walked and lived amongst people. And I believe he's coming back. So there is no scepticism in my heart when it comes to mm. Jesus. So in some ways, there's, there's two elements to allay your scepticism. One is the experience that Jesus is real yep. you know, as an experience and as a spiritual experience, but also there's historical, good historical reasons that Jesus came to the world and yeah. we can follow and trust him. Yes, and, and there are extra biblical uh, proofs of, of Jesus' existence as well. You mm -hmm. can read, in fact, I wrote a blog, it's on our church website, um, mm -hmm. that, that goes beyond um, looking at Jesus as a historical figure and uh, what non-biblical sources had to say mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. him. So, Rob, encountering a skeptic, how does an encounter with Jesus provide an answer to life's big questions? 
I think, uh, as I said earlier, when we meet someone, we need to need to work out where they're at on their journey. I think sometimes, and I was certainly put off by Christians that were Bible bashers and not understanding where I was at as a skeptical atheist and launching at me with both barrels only just made me turn away. Mm. And so I think we need to learn how to listen how to be interested in the opinions of other people without, without being dismissive, uh, to ask good questions and to take people on a journey and not to befriend them purely to get them to believe in God as we do. I think we need to learn to befriend people because they are people. Should we at least just once come and see Jesus and then make up our minds? I would say definitely yes, and you will not be disappointed. Well, let me leave you with the Bible's answer to the big question. Is the story of Jesus a conspiracy theory? From John 1, 46. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Please thank our guest today, Rob Buckingham. Thank you so much.